My name is Albert Moeller, and I'm president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And you're listening to RYM's The Local Youth Worker Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker. As you just heard from the intro, Dr. R. Albert Moeller Jr. will be joining us in just a little while, but I have several announcements I need to make before we get to that interview. Um, If you've been tuning in, you know that we have partnered with Crossway Books uh, to celebrate our 400th episode. Crossway has been very generous uh, to allow us to have a few giveaways as well as Uh, giving 40% off a selected title. So just a reminder to everyone listening, if you go to crossway.org slash RYM40, you can get 40% off books. Um, Last week, Crossway was generous to give away an ESV teen study Bible, and Suzanne Jones uh, from Texas was the winner of that. And so congratulations to Suzanne. Uh, This week is the last giveaway, and it's an entire set of New Testament scripture journals. Uh, This is an awesome gift. Um, We're excited to be able to offer this to our listeners. Um, To enter in this giveaway, it takes just a little bit more work because uh, it's, I think, retails at $100. And so this is is a great gift that uh, Crossway is giving away. Um, Something we rarely do on this podcast is encourage our listeners to rate and review this podcast. Um, You could probably count on one hand how many times we've said that. Um, and so we want to ask you to, to do that, that if you listen to this podcast and if you've ever been blessed by the content at all, we would encourage you uh, to leave a, a positive review. Obviously, we do not want to force this, that if you do not like this podcast, uh, then part of me is wondering why you're tuning in at all. But if you don't like this podcast, then no, we're not asking you to do that just to win this. Um, but if you would leave a positive review for this podcast and you Uh, screenshot it and you can either tag us on Instagram or you can find our contact information on our website and send us that review. Uh, Then we will enter you in to win this entire New Testament set of scripture journals. That will be announced on Friday. So again, you have this week to try to win the New Testament scripture journals. But for the remainder of this month, you can still get selected titles for 40% off. Um, Also, our our friends at New Growth Press um, are offering a discount on the new devotional, Social Media Pressure. If you tuned in last week, you got to hear about this new teen devotional uh, that RYM has partnered to produce with New Growth Press. Um, Just so you know, New Growth Press only offers 40% off on the week of release, which was last week, but they're actually extending it um, to this week as well. And so be aware, this 40% discount will only be available a little bit longer. Um, so you can uh, access the code, um, 40% discount code, in the show notes of this uh, podcast. So be sure to just look for social media pressure link, and that will give you the code to be able to get the discount. And again, that will only be offered for uh, this uh, week. 
My last announcement for today has to deal with this podcast and the schedule of this podcast. Uh, next week, we're getting to talk to Joe Jensen, who is the Senior Vice President of Church Relations, I believe is the correct title, with Barna. Uh, Barna has released a study entitled The Open Generation. It's a fascinating three-volume set study that has been just one of the most comprehensive studies they've ever done. Again, this is off the top of my head but I think it's over 25,000 teens in over 20 countries uh, that were surveyed. So that will be next week. Um, Very interesting uh, research that I know will be helpful to many. And then, Lord willing, after that, Dr. Nancy Piercy will be joining us to talk about her new book. So that's the next couple of weeks. And then most likely, um, we're going to take a break for uh, maybe one week, maybe two. I will be at, at our high school Colorado conference and then three Florida conferences and then Maryland and then Texas. So it's a busy summer. Many of you who listen to this podcast will be at some of these conferences. So I'm looking forward to seeing you. We may be able to sit down with some of you and record some uh, interviews and, and get some content to, to our listeners. But I just wanted to alert everyone to um, the break that Uh, we'll be taking Uh, but we hope to get something to you so just kind of stay tuned for that so as you heard from the outset as I said uh, Dr. Albert Moeller will be joining us in just a little bit before I I read his bio and tell you a little bit about him which I'm sure many of you already know who he is I do just want to give a shout out to some people who helped with this Um, Mike Bryant helped with a lot of logistics for this day from kind of IT stuff to just distractions that are going on outside Uh, he knows what I'm talking about but he helped a whole lot so I just want to thank him Uh, Ben and Bill Sones as well. Uh, They really helped to set this interview up. And so we're very excited to have Dr. Moeller join us. And that couldn't have happened without their help. So I just want to thank those people. Uh, Well, Dr. R. Albert Moeller is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. In addition to his presidential duties, he is the Centennial Professor of Christian Theology and hosts two programs, The Briefing, a daily analysis of news and events from a Christian worldview, and Thinking in Public, a series of conversations with the day's leading thinkers. He is also the editor of World Opinions, where he provides regular cultural and theological commentary. He has also appeared on such national news programs as CNN's Larry King Live, NBC's Today's Show and Dateline NBC, as well as ABC's Good Morning America, uh, PBS, MSNBC, as well as Fox News. Uh, He is the author of numerous books, uh, his most recent being Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, The Explosive Power of Jesus' Parables. He's a former president of the Evangelical Theological Society. Uh, he has written a two-volume commentary on the book of Acts, and he serves as the general editor of the Grace and Truth Study Bible. He and his wife, Mary, have two children and three grandchildren. Dr. Muller, welcome to the podcast. John, it's great to be with you. Thank you. Uh, Most people know you as the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, um, but why don't you tell our listeners, what did you do prior to becoming president in 1993? Well, I was uh, 33 when I was uh, elected president at age, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 30 years ago. And uh, 
So uh, I'll tell you that I was editor of the Christian Index. So I was a theologian and I was a journalist and I was a pastor. That's the easiest way to put it. So, uh, and in some sense, uh, all that rolled into one. And uh, I've continued the journalism and the uh, the, the the pastoral ministry, uh, as well as being president of the theological seminary, functioning as a theologian and a professor and teacher as well. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, we might actually zoom into the journalism aspect of that as we talk about the briefing in a little bit. Um, and I, I might be testing your your memory here, but do you remember where you were uh, when the board of trustees first contacted you about the initial interview to be president? You know, I, I'm having a hard time knowing exactly which contact that might have been, but I was either in in Atlanta, Georgia, or down in Florida, uh, uh, which is my home state, uh, as I remember. But uh, I'll, I'll be honest, that was like 31 years ago, <laughs> and uh, I remember many events, but I'm not sure where I, I, I received that first contact. I'm, go- I'm going to guess in Atlanta, where I was editor of the Christian Index. Sure. And and was this something you were on the lookout for? Or was it c- totally out of the blue? Were you expecting this call? Or uh, You know, I, I, I expected that they would talk to me about it, but I was only 32 when the mm-hmm. search opened. I didn't think that was most likely. Uh, but I had, uh, I had been a finalist in two other academic presidencies in the previous year. And so... Uh, I was I wasn't surprised to be on the list, but you know I didn't expect they were going to choose the 33 year old, uh, but for all kinds of reasons they did, and I think they're understandable in uh, retrospect. But it was a long pass any way you look at it. Uh, it, it was a, it was a risky move, and I'm very thankful the Lord brought all those things together because I I wouldn't want to have spent my you know the the biggest part of my adult life any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you actually mentioned in the conviction to lead, uh, just you talk about your youthfulness. Um, and so as you were accepted, as you, you came in as the president of Southern Seminary at the age of, of 33, as you said, um, how intimidated were you? Could you describe your emotions? You know, intimidate is not the right word because, and, and this this may reflect a character flaw, but I wasn't intimidated by it. I was kind of awed by it. But uh, look, the Lord uh, brought me into unusual circumstances at a very young age, and so at, at an extremely young age, as in teenager, hmm. uh, I am in proximity to uh, to major Christian leaders, and uh, getting to observe them and learn from them. And I had ambition—I I hope a godly ambition. It was directed first towards national politics and that kind of influence, and uh, then the Lord really, uh, through all kinds of means made it very clear to me that I was really called to preach the Word of God and uh, to 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 be a uh, uh, even a theologian at at some point I I had an apologetic crisis as a teenager it was uh, it was people with great theological conviction who helped me through that I I thought you know I really want to do that I I would listen to the preaching of God's Word I think I really want to do that Uh, I I eventually came to conclude that that was how God called a pastor into the the service of preaching and uh, so uh, I, I was around those people, giants, and I was actually, uh, you know, 33, but I served years as assistant to the president uh, uh, here at the very same institution. And uh, before that, I'd been in roles like president of the Ministerial Association at Sanford University, where I did my undergraduate, where, you know, at age 18 and 19, I'm being put into pulpits to preach all over the state of Alabama and uh, wow. got to learn a lot from the president of the university there at that time. So in, in essence, 
I, I, I was kind of an old man packaged as a 33 year old. <laughs> well, I, I'd love for you to zoom in just a little bit more on those, those teen years. I mean, you, you're in a pulpit, you said 18 and 19 yeah. years prior to really that. Of, yeah. How, how did the Lord kind of lead you in that direction? Yeah. So, uh, and, and I think this could be really relevant to, to those who are listening to your podcast. I, I was, uh, very, very, uh, I am very, very thankful, I should say that, to have been born to two wonderful Christian parents who uh, raised me and my brothers and my sister in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And like I was I was a Southern Baptist teenager, which meant it's the full body experience, not just in baptism, but in calendar schedule. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was spending 13, 14, 15 hours a week uh, in church activities, found found my great, great joy there, by the way. I was in every graded choir. I, you know, I was in every youth meeting, and and it wasn't a question. And, and, you know, it was just that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. It was by, yes, I could say, you know, divine providence. It was by fatherly election, you know, and so that was just, <laughs> it was just going to happen. And uh, but I didn't, I didn't kick against that at all. I, 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 I loved it. Uh, but uh, sociological context changed. Uh, we, we were moved from a very intact Southern community to a very fast paced metropolitan community when I was 13 and everything comes unglued. You know, I had atheist teachers. I had, you know, pot smoking teachers (laughs) as a 13 year old. Mm -hmm. And, And I had huge apologetic questions. I had atheist teachers who were pressing me as a young Christian. How can you, how can you, uh, you know, defend theism, you know, et cetera. I, I am thrown into a crisis. And, and so here's where youth ministry really comes in. I had a wonderful youth pastor named uh, Norm Wakefield, who was just a faithful young Christian man, married to a faithful young Christian woman. And, and they were so generous with their time, so generous with their heart. He played the guitar. He, he, he taught us devotionally. Uh, and I think I probably scared him to death. Because I would show up, you know, big questions, you know, like how do you defend the reality of objective truth? You know, how, how do you how, how do you jump from the uh, human brain to the knowability of God, uh, God's word in Scripture? You know, and these are not questions that you know they kind of train youth pastors to deal sure. with in the 1970s, and uh, I think I scared him to death. Uh, however, he was so kind and and so gracious. And, and he he was concerned with me, he loved me. And uh, so he picked me up from school one day and introduced me to another youth pastor. And uh, this one, I, I think he had just met uh, this other youth pastor who, who was actually in a PCA church, uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church mm-hmm. in Fort Lauderdale, church with, with whom, with which, and people there with whom I've had a longstanding relationship. I, I married the valedictorian of their high school. <laughs> and uh, Jim Kennedy, D. James Kennedy, who was pastor there, a massive influence on my life. He really introduced me to apologetics. And so that that's the thing. You know, I, I just I, if, if there's any one thing I could say to the listeners of your podcast is adolescence, uh, the, the, the difference between childhood and adolescence in one thing, because everybody thinks of physical maturity. But the 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 biggest thing is the shift from um, uh, the, the thinking of childhood to complex analytical reasoning. In adolescence, you know, as I tell people, you know, three-year-olds think, but 13-year-olds think about thinking. It's just a completely mm-hmm. different thing. You know, you do not have six-year-olds waking up in the middle of the night concerned with the question of their own, the continuation of their own existence and consciousness. Am I the same person when I wake up as I was when I went to bed? You know, you do not have six-year-olds, or if you do, you got a very scary six-year-old. Uh, <laughs> but you've got 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds who are very much asking those questions. 
And uh, now you look, I, I really didn't understand a lot of the answers I was given uh, as I was introduced to Christian apologetics and Christian theology and, and just, just really deep biblical uh, Christian thinking. I didn't understand a lot of the answers, but boy, it really was a great gift to me to know someone had answers. And uh, and not only that, I was so intrigued by all of this. You know, I would say that I became a 16-year-old apologist, and now I'm a 63-year-old apologist, uh, and it's a continuous line. Oh, yeah. Well, that's fascinating to hear that, and that does make sense to your answer of not intimidated uh, when you were appointed president, um, but just you, you saw it with all, and just thinking of the context that you inherited. I know, again, I, I mentioned the conviction to lead your book, and you described how uh, the faculty was against you. The student body was against you. That people they were pretty loudly about uh, <laughs> against me, by the way. Both. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'd love for you just to describe kind of that, those early years, right, as you um, took this role at thirty-three. Yeah. Well, just think about the fact that the Southern Baptist Convention is is, is a convention of conservative Southern Baptist churches, but there were some liberals very much entrenched in the bureaucracy, the denomination, and its leadership, and in particular in its seminaries. And so grassroots Southern Baptists during the 70s in particular and into the 80s uh, really worked hard to gain control of the denomination and to elect conservative presidents who would bring about conservative change. This was the battleship right here. This is this is the aircraft carrier. This is the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, definite article in the charter. <laughs> and, uh, and and so this is the, the this is just where the greatest battle was going to be fought. And it, uh, it it fell to me. They elected me to do it. So I knew what I was getting into. I hold both the Master of Divinity and the PhD from this institution. So I knew exactly uh, what the challenge was going to be. I didn't know exactly how it was going to fall out. Uh, that's a human equation. But, uh, but yeah, I had to come. And I mean, basically, it was a total exchange of a new faculty for an old within five to six years. That is not an easy thing to accomplish. And, and and by the way, it's not just a legal, procedural, personnel, you know, policy challenge. It's a personal challenge because you're dealing as a human being with very real human beings. And by the way, it meant, in my case, my own teachers. Uh, so, yes, that was very complicated. And, and And students have been drawn to an institution and we're changing the faculty. So we also had to change the student body. That's not done overnight. But the, the Lord's been so gracious, you know, that people said you do this is going to kill the institution. We had to bring about a total commitment to biblical truth because it's right. Mm -hmm. And if it had killed the institution, then, you know, that would have been better than for it to go off in the direction, you know, that would pretty soon have rainbow flags flying out front. Uh, so the Lord really brought about what, you know, as a church historian, I would say is a, a reformation, very much like reformation, which was was very difficult in the 16th century. I shouldn't expect it's going to be easier now. Um, but the Lord really brought that about. I mean, we have more than 6,000 students now. You know, so it, it, that's the other thing is that an institution committed to biblical truth actually is a justifiable place for young pastors or those who are training to be pastors and Christian ministers to go, you know, who would have thought? Yeah. Well, you know, we said 1993 is when you're appointed president over 30 years uh, that you've, you've been in this institution, which means that you've almost spent most of your life as the president of Southern Seminary than not. Um, so when you hear that and think about it that way, how does that make you feel? Well, I mean, number one, I'm just so thankful in the providence of God. I've been given this opportunity and the, the Lord's allowed me to do it for 30 years. And yet through many dangers, toils and snares, but I mean, my goodness, I'd do it over again. Uh, 
every time if I had the opportunity. I, I, I just can't think. I, look, I think I, God made me genetically for this role, and uh, he's given me the great uh, honor, the stewardship of this responsibility uh, for three decades. Now, there are other aspects to that, and, and that is that soon after I was elected, the trustees had a full-size oil painting of me done by a, a very prominent artist. You know, I tease people. I, I I think they rushed the painting because they weren't sure the presidency was going to last long. So, you, know, <laughs> this, you know, at least we'll have a painting on the wall. Uh, but I have to pass that painting, you know, several times a week and look mm. and think, you know, wow, that was 30 years ago. And, and then, you know, I also have to have, you know, I speak to conferences in that room and meetings in that room all the time. And uh, I was speaking at a uh, um, really, it was a wonderful youth meeting we had. I had a bunch of 14, 15-year-old kids in the room. And uh, in speaking to them, I said, look, let me tell you what, you know, 30 years will do to you. I pointed at the picture, and they looked back at me as if to say, that can't be real. Uh, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> but I see that all as God's providence and, and kindness. And, uh, and so for that, I'm just very thankful. Hmm. That's that's good to hear. This might be a hard one to answer. Um, if you weren't president, what would you be doing? Running NASA. No, I just made that up. <laughs> okay. I grew up. In, I, grew I started up in to Florida. laugh, and then no, I... <laughs> I grew up a, 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 as a boy in Florida, and, and I was so close to the Space Coast. I got to watch launches, and look, it was during the Cold War. So my friends and I played war all the time. We had rockets, red glare, you know, because they were putting up missiles, satellites, you know, stuff all the time. Uh, I got to go to a couple of Apollo launches and uh, had the great joy of taking uh, my grandchildren uh, uh, to a SpaceX launch at the Cape just a few months ago. So, no, I I, I probably wouldn't be running NASA because I don't want to have to do the physics. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, but no, I'm just saying, look, the, 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 one of the wonderful things about the biblical worldview is that there is dignity. You know, Martin Luther said the milkmaid has as much dignity in her work, you know, as does the prince. Mm-hmm. Or the or, or or the preacher, you know, he, he would also say, uh, and, and so that's just really good for us to know. So I I don't know. I look, I have too many interests. Uh, I've I've been deeply involved in journalism and writing, uh, in the media, uh, in political and cultural issues. Uh, if if there's any one thing that I enjoy doing more than anything else, it's it's expository preaching, uh, and 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 seeking to help uh, God's. Uh, God's people. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll just tell you that uh, I, I would find I would find a way to uh, to follow God's call one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, can, can you give us um, some behind the scenes of what a typical day looks like for you? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would sort of, but it's kind of a disaster uh, <laughs> because uh, look, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm in a station of life in which I, I've got so many different kind of roles to fulfill. Uh, in one sense, kind of a senior leader in the Southern Baptist Convention, that's not a small thing. Uh, and and then, uh, obviously, all the responsibilities that come with being the president of a college and a seminary. And not only that, the I mean, a giant seminary. And I don't mean that braggadociously. It's just, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, there is no way that the work on a president's, you know, agenda ever gets done on a daily basis. Uh, but but then because of all the other things that uh, that are also a part of that, doing the briefing, you know, five days a week, it's a massive investment of uh, energy and time. I, I you know this week I've recorded two thinking in public you know broadcasts. I've done like I'm doing with you, 
uh, you know, several other media uh, events. Um, and, and then all the appointments and, and chapel and, you know, in the last 10 days, three commencement services. So, I mean, all this stuff just goes together. And so what I learned a long time ago, and I tried to communicate in the conviction to lead, is that God evidently made us finite, and that's not a fault. You know, he intended us to be. And, and so I, I want to say to the Christian pastor, to the Christian leader, or to the Christian parent, if I want to say to the Christian, you're never going to get it all done in a day. If you if you come to the end of the day and you say, I got everything done I needed to do, you probably needed a few more things on your list. <laughs> Very true. Well, I mean, part, part of the reason I asked the question, as I remember uh, Matt Pearman's book, uh, What's Best Next? And he quotes you saying that, I think your best work is done between 11 p.m. and to 3 a.m. And just curious if that's a schedule you still keep. If you modified that through the years, what does that look like? I, I would keep that same schedule, except I, I really am determined to keep my wife. And uh, so <laughs> that's a good uh, keeping thing. my wife trumps keeping those hours, except it's 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 fairly close. I'll just say that uh, it's 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 usually uh, not quite three in the morning these days. I need more sleep as I as I get older. And, uh, but I'm a night person. I'll just tell you that right up front. My night person, I, I, I did not mean to be this way, but God made me this way. Uh, my, uh, my, my godly father tried to make me something other than a night person and by his force of will. And by the way, you know, he, he had a pretty massive force of will. And, uh, so at one point, however, you know, he came in my bedroom when I'm wide awake, you know, like two hours after going to bed. And he said, look, I'll work with you on this. Um, you know, you're going to do exactly what the rules are, but uh, I'm going to let you read in bed for an hour after. It's so long as you get in bed at time, exactly when you're supposed to, and everything's done, and you know, then you can read for an hour. And uh, that really helped me. It was a godly, fatherly thing to do because mm -hmm. I, I learned that I decompress that way. I I actually, you know, because because I I can't write anything right now. I can't play anything right now. I can't I can't do anything right now except read, and and reading became. Uh, first of all, any honest statement that I'd make is that reading is a lot of my life. So in other words, if I hated it, I'd have a very miserable life. I do not hate it. Walk into my personal library, you'll understand it's it's fairly obsessive. Mm -hmm. But uh, but on the other hand, that is at some point something I need to do. If I'm going to sleep, I've got to clear my mind. And that's generally by reading something. And, you know, my dad would, I think, come in, you know, uh, you know probably less than an hour later sometimes. And, you know, he'd take the book off my chest and put it on the night table. And it, it was just, it was just a very godly thing. But, but look, I do believe that there are rhythms in people's lives. Peter Drucker, the the great leadership figure, and, and I mentioned him in the book. I, I, I got to hear him in person as a fairly young man and, and boy, he made a, he, he makes a big difference. And he said, look, and he's writing two young men in his book, The Effective Executive, written long before I came on the scene. And he says, look, there are two things every leader needs to know. Number one, are you an eye person or an ear person? And uh, that's a very good dichotomy to understand. I'm an eye person. You know, I, I will get things best by reading them. Uh, I'll try, I'll, I'll work in a conversation and enjoy them, but I, I just don't remember things conversationally the way I do with print on a page. But you know, there are other people with the opposite, and, and mm -hmm. thanks be to God for that. But he says, you also need to know, as a fairly young man, he said, whether you're a night person or an evening person, excuse me, a night person or a morning person. And he said, look, you don't have a choice as to which you are, but you also don't have a choice as to when you work. You work when your boss tells you to work. 
And, you know, he was talking, he was writing that in the 50s, you know, when you had corporate America, the military and all the rest. And he said, you better know if you're a night person, you're going to have to work like 50% harder in the morning to be as good as you are at night and or vice versa. So, I mean, all that's just good advice. That's kind of common grace, right? You know, just to kind of know these things. For sure. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned the briefing and and am I right? You take a break in July, but other than that, it's Monday through Friday year round. Yeah. I take take a break in July because I'm required to by my board. Uh, And and again, that, 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 that's a smart thing I have to say, because it is, it is a massive, massive investment of time. And look, I'm thinking about it even in July, but, but I'm not doing it. I, I broke that, you know, just uh, just uh, one time, I think, in recent years, and that was with the death of uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Mm. Um, and, and in other words, it, it, there may be something happening, which we'll need to do some kind of special edition. But that's basically it. I take two weeks off at, uh, at Christmas and New Year's. And 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 that, too, is when I'm, I look, there are things I want to talk about, but I need to spend the time with my family. I want to communi- communicate to listeners, you know, this is the time you really need to devote mm-hmm. to your family. Do you have any idea how many episodes you've recorded? Oh, it's in the thousands, thousands, okay. thousands. I, I, I don't know. And before that, I did a live national radio program uh, for 10 years. Hmm. And okay. so, um, yeah, I, I switched to podcasting when most people didn't know that the word existed. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the Lord's really blessed that. Uh, I, I'm thankful for the time I had on radio. I, I'm I'm still on the board of an of, uh, editorial board of a very large a radio network. And, uh, and again, I've worked with the media. You know, I've, I did the Larry King show on television. I don't know, dozens of times. And, and I did just about all the major, you know, uh, television uh, uh, programs. Uh, but I really, I really, really uh, felt like I could make a distinctive contribution by speaking to people directly on radio every day for an hour and, and then the podcasting. Mm-hmm. And, and I do not only the briefing, but the long format program, which I do with a guest entitled Thinking in Public. And I said, like I said, in the last couple of days, I've recorded two of those. They're always an adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and by the way, they're not always with Christians at all. Mm-hmm. That's uh, right. It's a, Part of what I do in that program is to try to engage people who come perhaps from an alternative worldview, getting ready to do one, uh, a, a major new work on, on the secularization of the United States with a very determined atheist. And I'm mm-hmm. determined it's going to be a very good conversation. Well, in reference to that podcast, who would you love to interview that you have not yet inter- interviewed on that podcast? Oh, I've, I've missed a couple of people I really wish I could have had. Um, uh, I'd love to have Thomas Sowell uh, as a guest. He just doesn't do the, uh, that kind of program. Um, uh, there's some, the, the chief rabbi of London, uh, a remarkable figure. I, I wish we, I'd had, and, and we, were, we were basically scheduled and, and he died. Uh, there's there's several people you just look at. They're just and 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 some amazing people uh, who have really uh, contributed to the mind of the age. And uh, so I, I, I'm I'm going to be doing one with Hadley Arcus, uh, a very very famous uh, political philosopher. And, and I'm just really looking forward to that. I I was able to do uh, uh, you know thinking in public. I did one with Jimmy Carter. Uh, and, 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 and by the way, let's just say we do not see eye to eye and he has gone after me in several of his books, but it was a very respectful, uh, conversation. I did one with Peter Brown, uh, late of Princeton. He lived to be almost a hundred years old. He, he, he developed a whole 
new field of historical studies of what was called late antiquity, great historian of the Roman Empire. And uh, it, it, and so much of his work was important to Christian scholars, even though he did it from a secular perspective. And, you know, just to have conversations with those folks. And by the way, a part of it is I really enjoyed them talking to a Christian, which they otherwise wouldn't do. And uh, so, or, or wouldn't be likely to do. So it, mm-hmm. it, it's, um, it, it's, it's been fun. Look, I know we're about to have to start wrapping up. And you, you mentioned speaking to 14 and 15 year olds a little while ago. And I know through just Boys College as well as Southern Seminary, as you've witnessed this younger generation over the last few years, what, what are some of the trends you've noticed, both positive and negative? Yeah, I'll say negatively, it's easy to get to it. And that is they, they, they have less parent time. Uh, they have less family time. They have more eye time on a screen time. That is just not healthy. And by the way, it's not healthy for anybody. It's not healthy for grandpa either. <laughs> it's just not a healthy way to live. I'm not. I'm not a luddite. I'm not saying you know you know disconnect uh, from the web. Uh, someone's probably listening to this by that technology. We're having this conversation by that technology. I do a podcast for crying out loud. And in your book, Conviction to Lead, you talk about the importance of technology. So yeah, you're not a luddite. Yeah, no, I'm not a lot of, but boy, I did. So the second edition of the book coming out in September, one of the reasons there's a second edition is I had to trash that entire chapter on social media, <laughs> which was written in a pretty optimistic frame of mind back then. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll just say the new chapter's less optimistic, but but trying to deal with the reality of social media. But you asked me about, about kids, uh, teenagers, young people. Uh, I will tell you, they're just as capable of intelligent, wonderful conversation as teenagers have ever been. They just have a lot less experience in it. And I think, tragically, that begins in, in less experience at home and the dinner table with mom and dad, brothers and sisters, less experience at church, you know, less experience, a period. Look, we are, God made us in his image as affectional, relational creatures. We crave it. We need it. And, you know, there's certain points in life in which we need it even more urgently. So uh, e- even just in the last 24 hours, I, I heard a man speaking when he was 15, and was at a, a an academic meeting for gifted kids, and he he was he was from a school, the only one from his school. He was there. He was just absolutely alone. And he said it transformed a moment in his life when you know some other teenager didn't know when he's fifteen says, "Won't you come join us?" You know, and and, and you, we are we crave that kind of connection. We crave it when we're sixty, but not as much as when we're sixteen. And uh, you know, I I I think we've isolated. Uh, children and teenagers, but particularly teenagers in ways that you can now see are, are devastating. So, you know, the remedy to that is stop it. <laughs> you know, the remedy to That's that it. is, you know, it just, just Christian parents, you know, to spend that time with your kids. And and by the way, my dad, my dad arranged for me to spend time with him. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to, I would have volunteered to, I think, but I never, it was never my choice. You know, if my dad was working in the garage, if he was, if he was working on the car, I was handing him the tools. If, you know, that's, that's just the way the world worked. Uh, the day I turned 14, my dad arranged me to get a work permit. I could work in his store. And, uh, you know, I was like 16. I'm there in my dad's store, you know, it's Saturday night at, uh, you know, 10 o'clock and, and he, we're just getting ready to go home. He, he was a, got a, managed a grocery store. And we're getting ready to go home. I said, Dad, you know, why do you have me here so late? And he said, because you'd be otherwise somewhere else. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, look at, I look at that as a grandfather. I go, okay, that made perfect sense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but but I just, I, 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 we needed that. I needed that. 
Uh, and we had a support system. We, we had, you know, youth workers in the church, you know. And, and, and so how important is that? And how important, look, I am right now, and, and I've been through a certain health challenge uh, with blood clots. And so I'm, I'm hoping this works. But uh, I am determined, if the Lord allows, that uh, in just a matter of days, I'm going to be a thousand miles away preaching the funeral of the man who was my youth choir director, hmm. who had a determinative impact in my life as the minister of music in my home church in South Florida, in a way that I'll I'll be indebted to him for the rest of my life. Uh, and he lived to be a very old man. And I have been asked to preach his funeral, and what a great honor that's going to be. This is a man who gave me nothing but biblical truth, a, a man who invested himself with a bunch of squirming teenagers and made us sing, you know, and, uh, you, you know, th- there was just glory in that. We learned how to sing, but not only that, I mean, it was some of the best times of my life. And, and it was a man, it, it was this, it was this man in full, incredibly gifted musician who just wanted to spend his time um, leading uh, worship in a local church. And by the way, you know, the father of a wonderful family and just, 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 it, all I'm saying is, look, I, I, I just think teenagers need a lot more of that. You know, the distinction between a thin culture and a thick culture is a thin culture is one that doesn't demand much of your time. You're not immersed in it in, in such a way that, uh, you know, it, it dominates your thinking and, and, and establishes your emotional terrain and all the rest. A thick culture is the opposite. A thick culture is one in which, you know, you're, you're, you're walking in really thick stuff. You're breathing really thick air, you know, the, the, not only do you have parents who love you, you got grandparents, you got aunts and uncles. You not, not only do you have brothers and sisters, you got cousins. Uh, not only that, you got neighbors, and uh, everybody's looking out for you. And you know, as a kid, you you come to understand they all mean well for me. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, you, you learn how to talk to adults. You you learn you learn actually to have fun talking to adults. You know, you come to understand the Italian dad next door is louder than the uh, the. Your Protestant dad, you know, and uh, you just you go with this, but you also understand, you know, the 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 way people love one another, communicate with one another, and you know, I just say for Christians, you know, it, it, we need to get as much Bible, as much theology, as much apologetics, as much love, as much relationship into teenagers while it is day. Jesus would say in John chapter nine, night is coming when no man can work. Uh, I, I'm talking too long, but I I, I yeah. get the energetic and answering that kind of question. Well, I, I loved it. I, I didn't want you to to stop. Um, there are adult youth youth leaders. It when I was a teenager, that I'm texting with right now, getting ready to go down and preach that funeral. Now, how great is that? Mm-hmm. You know, I was, awesome. I was I was like 14 when you know they were corralling us. You know, for youth events at church. I, I'll be 64 this year. I mean, my goodness, that's 50 years. Uh, how can I be thankful to God for that? And how how much does it want me to have today's teenagers experience the same thing, including my own grandchildren? And and thanks be to God, they are. That's right. Well, how about final word to parents and, and youth workers as we close this out? Look, uh, our goal, and I say this as someone who's 63 years old right now, our goal is to work as hard as we can, to be as faithful as we can, so the rising generation will love Christ, trust Christ, live to honor Christ, live for the glory of God when we're dead and can't see it. And so, you know, our our, our goal is that uh, we wear ourselves out in the sweetest way. And I, I mean that with a smile on my face, 
you know, doing everything we can to put as much biblical truth, as much love, as much security, as much as much encouragement, and and you know, admonishment when needed, because that's love too. And, and just helping young people to find their way in the world uh, into a way that will glorify God. I mean, what could be better than that? Mm-hmm. Dr. Muller, you're, you're a man who has pulled in many directions, as we've talked about in this interview. So it means a great deal that you would share your time with me as well as those tuning in. So thank you. John, it's been great to be with you, and God bless you and all your listeners. Buy without money. Oh, come and feast without pay. For the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the slave. For the king has opened his banquet hall to the beggar, the outcast, and the